Hello and good evening and welcome to another episode of Religions, Regimes and Refugees and their Multicultural Mess and Secular Scam. Thank you so much for joining me again today. I'm absolutely honoured by your presence. Um, today's episode is going to be on something um, in the same line as what we were talking early on. Um, the Jewish Orthodox Jewish uh, Origins of Islam. And I have uh, read for you in previous podcasts, uh, um, I have read for you um, vocabulary, I've shown you links how Orthodox Judaism or Judaism in its original form then becomes Orthodox Judaism, uh, what we call Orthodox Judaism today, and it then becomes Islamic Part of that movement then goes into Islam and forms the Islamic political movement and the empire. And of course, um, how the traditions shift onwards. Um, in recent times, we've also been talking about madrasas uh, and how to change it, evolve it. Um, and we're talking about all sorts of angles to it. But I have shown you that the madrasas actually comes from a Hebrew word, midrash, which is a learning, seat of learning. Um well, it, actually, it's commentary on on the Torah, uh, but um, it's it's also it's it's about learning, and this became the um, Islamic schools where they were taught midrash um, because part of it comes from Judaism and Judaic um, ideologies, Orthodox Judaic ideologies. They were part of the alliance of uh, at Mecca. Um, and these schools then become midrasas. Um, so people want to um, reform it, and I have said you have to understand the history of it, the lineage, the link, and how this uh, shuffles off and becomes um, Islamic. Um, people want to change it, but you can't change it. You cannot change it because it's so indoctrinated in their head. Um, and I want to show you another episode of a Jewish Orthodox cult, ultra-Orthodox. And I've posted the link on my website. Oh, sorry, should I say on my Facebook page? Uh, Religions, Regimes and Refugees. And the name of uh, this uh, cult that we're going to talk about today is called Lev Tahor. Okay. Um, Lev Tahor uh, is a ultra-Orthodox Jewish cult. Um originally started in the 1980s, they are known as the Jewish Taliban. And what they do, how they live, how they behave, what, how they run their schools is exactly the way the madrasas are run. So in order for you to understand this, you have to understand these uh, historical footnotes of the time um, when the Jews or um, Hebrews practiced um, lived uh, this way of life and how it had come to become Islamic today. So um, we're going to talk about uh, Left Ahar. It is a Jewish cult which about, they say about 300 members. Started in the 1980s. They are led by a rabbi who is their cult leader or their religious leader. And this rabbi um starts by just teaching in his uh, rented apartment. And he is, at one point, um, 
He is said to have uh, kidnapped a young boy who comes for his classes. He was put in jail. He comes out, but still continues, and he forms a cult. He was banned from Israel. Um, he, he then moves to Canada, um, New Mexico, Guatemala, and, and various other countries. Uh, they move from country to country not to be nabbed by the authorities. However, they are a, a Hebrew cult. Okay, and ultra orthodox. Now, even there are many. There's about what eleven uh, percent or twelve percent of his Israel that is uh, ultra orthodox. But within these ultra orthodox communities, there are uh, many movements, many denominations, and this is an extreme of the extreme. Even the ultra orthodox, the regular ultra orthodox, otherwise known as Hasidim, do not appreciate these people, do not accept these people, and consider them the Jewish cult, uh, Jewish Taliban. Their women dress exactly like um, Iranian women, um, the religious type, with the black chador. Okay. Um, now, um, they are led by a rabbi, um, Shalom, uh, Shloma Helbron. Okay, uh, this particular cult. They came to my notice when I saw uh, a video on on uh, on the on the internet, on YouTube, and I started researching them. So they are like a religious, they, well, they are a religious cult, and their religion dictates everything. They do everything they say, how they work, how they eat, how they sleep, how they dress, everything, okay? They follow the Torah to the letter. Everything in the letter, what the, everything in the book, what the Torah says, they have to follow it, and that's what they, they do. Their goal is to go backward. I repeat this. Their goal is to go backward and live according to the original Judaism. That means original Hebrew people 3,000 years ago, not, not 1,400 years, 3,000 years ago. Um, and uh, they're teaching... Um, they live in very isolated communities. You cannot go into the community. You cannot go into their homes. They're very, very isolated. Okay, um, so they won't live in a city. They'll be far away from the city in the rural areas. Um, what they do is um, they live in communities where the men and women, um, well. Two, three hundred people. Uh, the women get married very, very early. Their only goal is to produce children, cook, clean, stitch, and produce children. And the more children they use, they, they produce, the more they can intermarry and then produce and produce and produce. So let's start with the schooling over here. They do not follow regular schooling. Um, they have their own religious uh, schooling. They are taught maybe a few secular subjects, but uh, the documentary that went into their homes to, to to understand what they were doing uh, found out they knew practically nothing except religious teaching. Uh, their teaching starts very young at three years old. Okay, they start. They learn Yiddish. That is um, a I think it's uh, in between between German and and Hebrew, if I'm not mistaken, but uh, predominantly German. Um, 
they speak, so Yiddish is what they are taught. They're not allowed to know any other language besides English, uh, one hour a day. Uh, but their schooling starts around three years old. And they start with the Yiddish alphabet. Um, and their goal is to just make sure that their, their children uh, follow exactly what they do. So they're indoctrinated from, from childhood. At five, they start learning the first chapters of the Torah. Uh, and by their teenage by their teenage years, they, they start at 9 o'clock in the morning, can finish at 11.30 in the night. These are the boys who become adolescents and then become men. And then they're supposed to get married and have more children. That's the only job. Have children, have children, have children. So you can have... Anywhere from 9 to 10 to 13 to 15, depending on the persons. Uh, females are not allowed to see the men. Okay, They're just not allowed to mix with the men except their own husbands. Um, they are... The females are taught a little bit differently. They are they're given a little bit few more secular subjects because they don't have to learn the Torah and Talmudic law. Um... So they taught, uh, you know, mats. Um, they they sew. They learn how to stitch. They learn how to cook because that's the only thing they're going to do. They're going to grow up. They're going to get married. They're going to have more children, and they are going to continue their lives. So they only know how to stitch. They need to know how to cook. They need to know how to keep the children and some foods that are important for them. Um, they are taught. Um, they're taught every almost every day except well. Um, except on the Shabbat, which is Saturday. Um, the rabbis teach uh, what they are taught is to obey the rabbi in totality. That means the rabbi is God, the rabbi is above the law, and the rabbi makes the law. A rabbi is a Jewish holy uh, minister. And the, they, they teach, they are taught to respect the submit only to the rabbi and that he's always right and he's doing um he's making god happy and so by following the rabbi they too are making god happy um so they are taught in school the girls and the boys the, the boys are taught uh, all the torah talmudic law jewish law uh and the girls are learning to cook and sew and and they wear and and basically that's it uh once they're about depending on, on the age of the society around them, the laws, they'll get married at 15 or, 13 or 16. Um, but their classrooms, uh, the documentary says, is just the start to the extreme way of life. So they are indoctrinated with this in, in extreme way of life from the time they are born. Um, all men will have to wear uh, black at all time, though they're not... Sorry, all women uh, are supposed to dress... well dress pretty much alike because they wear the black chador and um but it's not mentioned in the torah to wear it like this so the children uh the boys and the girls are taught separately they're not in the same classes uh boys learn to put on tefillin by the time they're adolescents and that's an important part of um judaism faith um and the documentary also talks about uh, how these people, since they don't work, how do they get money? So they get money from donations, from uh, international donations. They get money from um, from community mem other community members. Some few community members work outside the cult, but mostly they work. Uh, they do not move out. Um, 
and they don't earn any money besides donations. They get millions in charity, okay? So don't feel sorry for them. But they have no access to TV, internet, radio, and it's all banned. And very few people, like I said, can work outside, go to uh, go outside, but mostly they also earn welfare checks. So the government gives them welfare checks. Their career in life is to be the mother. Okay, that's what their main career. If you want to ask for something else, you can ask, but you'll be shunned out of the community. But their only community, uh, their goal is to be a mother. They need to spend all the time in the kitchen. And they wear, uh, like I said, they keep wearing their long black chadars. They even have to cover their feet. Uh, they're not allowed to show their feet even to the husbands. Uh, and they, they were asked why. Well, the Torah says you have to be modest. So colors are not modest. So you have to keep it black and you have to keep it dull. But um, this way of life is very, very difficult and there have been some abuse and people leaving the cult and uh, making noise. And so the child protection services have been brought in in Canada and they said that these people have filthy living conditions, child abuse, mattresses soaked in urine, a fungus on their feet, no bath every day. Very important. Uh, like I said, the rabbis are these leaders. Uh, one, everyone obeys only them. They are above the law. They play the media. And they say, um, one said this in front. And uh, yeah, basically they, they play the media. They say one thing in the front and another thing behind. So you know what that is. Um they are not able to listen to music. They um, once you join the cult, you cannot go back. Okay, um, it's very important. Um, <coughs> now, revelations and accusations and investigations have shown that there is abuse, um, physical abuse, mental abuse, there's sexual abuse. Uh, underage girls are married off to men twice their age. Um, they've been beating with crowbars and belts to keep their youth under the scanner and in their midst, not let them go out. Um, none of these allegations, however, have been proven in court because it's still ongoing and the victims are brainwashed and threatened and people who leave say it's hell. Recognize this? This is where what happens in Amadrasas. Um... Some say it's in a euphoric place, and the others say others say it's perfect Judaism, but um, it's not, unfortunately. Um, now the rabbi exerts ultimate control, and if you ask the even if you ask him to buy a book outside the religious books, he will not allow separate places to pray for women. Um, they have to look to a screen, and the Hebrew is um, yeah. They only speak Yiddish over there. Um, they love to look for a screen and they cannot uh, talk directly to their men. Uh, their leader was inspired, was imprisoned. Um, once their, I just wanted to say once uh, their leader was in prison, the whole community revolted very much, very much like the uh, Misharma incident. Um, they also found out that underage marriage, marriage is under 16, um, is, is okay for them unless it's against the law of the land. They are more extreme uh, than the ultra-Orthodox community. They live in a bubble, but not in a real world. Not in any text have they said uh, it is said to behave this way. They just want to go back and live like the original Judaism, however their issue is. And that, my dear friend, is a left to heart. Now, I verified, and 
and in that documentary, um, some orthodox, ultra-orthodox people said, well, or should I say orthodox people, um, minister said, there is no place in the Torah that asks them to live like this. So I said, okay, let's go back and understand the currents that form our waves. So basically, during early Judaism, there were many, many sects, okay, S-E-C-T-S, many sects, um, and everyone would have been fighting for space to get into the mainstream, everyone. Like we still do till day, today, it hasn't changed one single bit. Um, each each community would have had their own followers and their own rabbis, and some would have joined the mainstream and rode to the power to power in the kingdom of Jerusalem. Uh, sorry, in the kingdom of Israel, and in their subsequent communities everywhere in the world. So, um, yes, there's a lot of infighting for space among these communities. Um, and one leader told one leader on the documentary said there has uh, never been uh, people like this before. Well, what has happened is um, if there were many many communities and many many um, sects in the early Judaic uh, Hebrew history, uh, those who were not taken to the mainstream, those who were not nurtured, would have gone off on their own. Okay, um, so if they're gone off on their own. Uh, and, you know, dispersed in, in the desert because they were all surrounded by desert. But they would have still remained. They would have still remained and they would have still uh, tried to live their lives on their own. And the first opportunity, they pounced on it. Um, they basically disappeared from history if this cult, if left a horror or their way of life is actually true. Because, like I said, there are so many communities uh, in early Judaism and they've been fighting ever since. But the fact remains that they will not, like everyone else, they will not come together. Um, so basically, what I'm trying to say here is a lot of these communities, early Judaism, might have agreed with each other, not agreed with each other. Those who agreed joined the mainstream. Those who did not agree were dispersed, disbanded. And they would have not died off, but still remained over the generations and the first opportunity they would have pounced on it. And that opportunity came at Medina in 632 AD when the pandemic brought down a close of the economic uh, powers of the planet uh, in every single continent. And as a result of which, because it was... Uh, um, sorry, I apologize for that. Um, yeah, because they joined uh, their um, the rabbis, the um, the the tribes in Medina, their literature. We know that the Islamic movement had many tribes uh, who formed their lines. Their literature. Um, sorry, the literature does not say so, but. Effectively, they, they could have been existent in, in early Judaic uh, history um, because they were existent uh, and they did not die off. They could have joined the, the movement, the Islamic movement in Medina at 620, 632. And they could have got their literature from 1600 years ago at that point um, and their opinion and their way of life into the Islamic scriptures. Okay, and that's why you see so much of Judaism, but hardcore Judaism in uh, Islamic scriptures. And it'll be uh, very interesting to see that the hijab and the chador that people wear today, uh, the abayas, 
probably all come from this ideology of the tribes of of um, of Jews, uh, tribes of Hebrews, who would have found their way into the space at Medina, at Yatrib, and then became part of that mainstream society where we know in the Quran they talk about the mothers of the Prophet, uh, the wives of the Prophet have to cover up with these huge black uh, outfits and chador. But it's not for everyone, it's just for the wives or the mother of the of the prophet, uh, sorry, not mother, did I say mother? No, I'm talking about the wives of the prophet. So yes, effectively, they could have survived and gone off to Medina, and their ideology then became Islamic ideology. Um, now, officially, it's not there in any book, but trying to join the dots and understand where they come from, absolutely. And these people were, would have become the foundation of uh, the Islamic movement and all the inhibitions and where the black and where the chadar, um, which is uh, really sad because if you go from Western Sahara, Morocco, Egypt, Algeria, Tunisia, um, all these countries, right up to Asia, they were always colorful countries, um, very, very colorful countries, uh, Saudi Arabia, um, Asian subcontinent, Far East. Even if you see uh, Arabic movies, you will see that there is... Um, there are people there with lots of colors. So colors is a part of life uh, in from Western Sahara all the way to Indonesia. But somehow these people found a way to put black on them as if they were mourning and in trauma. And they put it in the scripture. So now every everyone who reads Islamic scripture thinks very clearly that uh, you know God has sent this upon them. But it's not God, it's a previous sect. It's a previous Judaic sect that they were not allowed to go into um, the mainstream society as a result. And because of that, um, they were disbanded and found their way to to other places, the Indian subcontinent, Africa. And one such opportunity arrived in uh, Arabia in 632, 622, I apologize, um, in 622 AD, uh, at the at the time that Muhammad was starting his impris uh, his uh, his mission, and also afterwards, all the people who joined him uh, after his death to continue his mission. So they would have found their way. Um, into the scriptures. Um, sorry, I apologize. Um, yes, they would have found their ways into Islamic scriptures, and they stand there till today with the chadar and with the with the niqab or with the abaya uh, in full only for the prophet's wives um, or as they're called I think the mother of all mothers now um, why am I telling you all this why am I showing you left ahar and why am I asking you to go into my Facebook page and look at the documentaries I've put over there the reason being is the, if remove the name say for instance remove the name Jude, uh, Jews Okay, and, and transfer it onto uh, Islam, Islamic madrasas. And I guarantee you, they are exactly the same. They are absolutely exactly the same. Whatever the madrasas are doing, these people have done 3,000 years ago, and they're still doing it. Uh, it was just under the table, now it's come to the top, and it's important to understand this link. Uh, so why madrasas? Because madrasas uh, teach... Quranic learning to um, to the youth, to the boys, um, and there have been allegations of sexual misconduct. There have been allegations of, on all types. 
And it's important to understand that, um, um, yeah, um, these madrasas, um, they are exact, they're doing exactly what these Hebrew cults are doing, exactly. Um, if you want to stop this, you have to stop this in, in different ways. Um, maybe um, improving the madrasas, modernizing them, or banning f little by little at a time, or letting them go, but as long as they have secular education, or uh, mainstream education, because I don't like using the word secular, and and slowly by slowly get the people out of there, understanding the link between uh, Orthodox Judaism and how this finds its way into the Indian subcontinent. Um, it is also time to up, uh, uplift the economics of the area uh, of these of the Indian subcontinent and specific specific targets to these uh, communities, uh, madrasa communities and, and their families, because these are the ones who are sending their children. The poor families are sending their children to these madrasas because they don't have any money to pay for them. They have no money for school. What is happening is they're going into this void, and who's filling this void? The madrasas. So. If people are not economic, economically bad off um, and they don't have a reason to join the madrasas, they would not join it. The only reason they're there is because they're poor and they have no other way of sustaining themselves un unless it's the madrasas who are giving them food, who are giving them training, who are giving them an education and being brainwashed. Uh, so it's important to understand that because we have plenty and plenty of uh, abuse going on in these um, in these madrasas. They also taught to hate Hindus, hate the kufar, hate anyone who's not Muslim, and not just any Muslim, but uh, their Orthodox Muslims. And that's very, very important uh, to know. So that is the reason why I've been talking about this this live to horror. It is a link in my on my Facebook page. Please access it. Please read it. Please read. Research it, and once you research it, you will understand how the madrasas work, and that the only way to get the children out of this hell, as some survivors would have said, um, is a combination of law, is a combination of uh, upgrading, uh, and a combination um, of uh, slowly taking out the license to 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 work on is in these madrasas or making them uh, relevant, um, and Improving, uh, improving the economic situation of the areas surrounded by the madrasas. Uh, now, people say they're only 2% of the population, but their missionaries go all over the world and in India to, um, to work, uh, to, to, to preach in mosques, to become the imams of the mosques. And so they, they may seem like 2%, but when they grow up, the damage they do is, is 200. So it's important to understand this uh, this lecture. Uh, it's important to understand this podcast and this point of view. Uh, once you understand that, then you can take decisions, uh, multiple decisions at different levels to how to tackle this problem. Um, now, I just want to say that all our ancestors with our religions would have been like this at one point of time. Okay, All our religions, our religious ancestors. 
ancestors. All would have been like this. This is not just Islamic. But slowly by slowly, we've given it up and we've now joined the modern mainstream. But guess what? The Islamic ultra-Orthodox sects and Sunni sects do not like it. Uh, they want to remain in the old way and they want to go back um, to the original ancestors in, and live right like them because they believe that those ancestors were absolutely perfect. Um, so that's it for today. It's very important. Uh, I must ask you to 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 spread the message. Uh, I'm going to ask you also to have this conversation with multiple friends and ask them to have it with multiple friends. Uh, that's important because um, unless we don't have this conversation uh, in every single home, we are not going to have a conversation on our streets. It's going to get really bad. So yes, have this conversation. Research as much as you want. Lev Tahar is the word. L-E-V-T-A-H-O. Are and uh, yes, absolutely. Um, there are many, many videos on it, and I would love for you to take a look at it. I would love for you to research it and and get to know it and understand that all I have to do is remove the label, put the Muslim label, and there we go. It's exactly the same because they are doing exactly the same thing um, in India and in South Asia. So I will leave you on that note. I thank you for your time. I hope you do research the information I've given you and we will see you tomorrow. Cheers and stay safe.